Ready to break free from algorithms, vanity PR, and money-sucking ads? My name's Larissa Worstiak, and I've learned in seven years of jewelry marketing that content is the crown jewel. My agency, Joy Joya, takes a holistic approach, leading with laser-focused storytelling, impactful content creation, and strategic content distribution. This method has worked for the solopreneur as well as the multi-million dollar company, and now I'm sharing the same systems and tactics with you. Here's to standing out in the sea of sparkle. Welcome to episode 269. Today, I want to talk about the power of events for jewelry marketing and how figuring out your event strategy should be a major priority in 2024 if it's not already on your radar. But before I talk about events, I also want to stress my passion for email marketing and just follow my train of thought here and how it ties into this whole discussion. So the latest data reveals that email marketing delivers impressive results, boasting an average ROI of $45 for every dollar invested in retail e-commerce and consumer goods and services. This holiday season, I've witnessed firsthand with my clients who have robust email lists just how dominant email can be in converting sales. But how does this connect back to events, you may wonder? Well, to maximize the effectiveness of your email marketing endeavors, you really do need that robust subscriber list. And acquiring and nurturing this list is not a simple task. One effective approach is to venture out into the real world and participate in more events. That way, your future fans can meet you in person, providing an opportunity to share their contact information with you. And whether or not they make a purchase at the event, they become valuable additions to your email list, enabling you to cultivate a lasting relationship with them over time. We'll be looking at this topic through the lens of Hillary Fink Jewelry, who we've been spotlighting as a jewelry brand case study. If you're joining the podcast series for the first time this season, I suggest going back to episode 252. That way you can meet Hillary and follow this narrative from the beginning. But before our conversation with her today, I want to talk about the types of events you should be trying in 2024 how to collect email subscribers, and then what to do with those email subscribers once you've added them to your list. But before we get to the solid gold, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both audio and video, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. You can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And I want to read a recent review from Three Sisters Design. Thanks for listening, by the way. They say, a really great show, stumbled across it, and now I'm hooked. Have learned so many items from the show and so appreciative for this podcast. Thank you for that. That feedback really does mean a lot to me. So if you're feeling generous this holiday season, I'd really encourage you out there to please write a review or leave a comment on YouTube, whatever you feel comfortable with. Okay, let's get into today's episode, my sparklers. This one's all about events and how to make events work for your brand in 2024. 
So what are the types of events you should be trying in the new year? Let's skip all that usual talk about the typical jewelry industry events that you all know and maybe some of you even do already, like trade shows, trunk shows, pop-ups. If these events have been successful for your brand, then by all means, continue with them, go for it. But if you're also open to trying something new or you're new to events, Here are some fresh ideas and tips to consider for your 2024 marketing plan. So number one, and I think this is probably my biggest tip for today, consider taking advantage of live video. Please, not enough people are doing it. And I really do see firsthand with clients the engagement that it results in on social media. So on platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, In 2023, my clients who consistently used live video, I reported, I saw with my own eyes, the impressive results. It can elevate your other social media content by boosting engagement and sustaining it for some time. It's kind of like a nice little halo for everything else that you post around your live videos. And it really offers a refreshing break from that typical scrolling experience for your followers, which everyone is now just zoned out doing. So with live video, then you can provide your followers with direct interaction with your brand and even some entertainment and just something that feels more real and authentic. And even if they aren't making immediate purchases right then and there, You're building strong relationships and that goodwill that will pay off in the long run. Number two, consider revamping your approach to those more conventional events that you're planning to do, like the trunk shows and the pop-ups. I think the usual routine, we all know it. We've all been to a jewelry trunk show. We know like the formula for it. It starts to feel stale over time, not only for the customers, but also for you because you just fall into this habit of doing the same old and you're not thinking so much about how can I really engage with the people at the event and make it a true experience for them that they will leave talking about it to their friends. So how about injecting some novelty into these events? Consider choosing fun or intriguing themes for your pop-ups, setting up maybe stations where customers can add personalization to their pieces, whatever makes sense for your business. This is obviously going to be different from one business to another, but what can you do to bring something a little bit unexpected and fun so that we're not falling asleep and snoozing because it's the boring same old thing that everyone else is doing. Number three, Combine two event formats, potentially. So if you're hosting an in-person event, think about including a virtual component also so that people who aren't local to that event can also participate. I think it's really frustrating as a small business, especially you're going to invest all this time into promoting an event to the people that are local to where the event is taking place, but then you're missing out on the whole rest of your audience who can't attend. Of course, it's going to be a little bit more work to have like two formats simultaneously or maybe close to each other, 
But I think, again, it brings more people in and you will get more bang for your buck out of the promotions that you're already going to be doing. Number four, establish a consistent event schedule that has momentum throughout the year. I noticed that most brands, I'm seeing it, they focus their events around the holiday season. It makes sense. More people are shopping for gifts. More people are out buying things. They save up their money for this time of year. But if you can think of events that maybe aren't always sales focused, but are just more focused on engaging the customer and you keep them more consistent throughout the year, think about what's going to happen during that holiday season when you have the event. People will be more primed to purchase. They will be familiar with what you're doing and just more open to buying at your like big holiday event or whatever your big event is of the year. Number five, please don't assume that everyone is knowledgeable about jewelry or feels comfortable shopping for it. Many people find the process intimidating, especially if you sell at higher price points. So really be ready to engage put those attendees at ease, even in a virtual setting. I have to say, I'm in the jewelry industry. I feel very comfortable about jewelry. And I did recently attend a pop-up where I felt awkward (laughs) because the people hosting it, they kind of just like didn't engage with me at all. It was very awkward. I mean, some people might appreciate the opportunity to browse quietly, but all the jewelry was behind glass. I did want to try things on, see what the prices were like, kind of maybe consider purchasing something, but the environment wasn't engaging or welcoming. I think they just assumed what I would have wanted from the experience. And they did not know I was in jewelry also. So I could have been any customer walking in from the street. So when you're interacting with your customers, with the people who attend the event, please do not assume anything about them. Make an effort to connect with them, get their vibe, try to see like, what are they looking for? It's not the easiest thing, but invite them into your world. Number six, consider collaborative events. So partner with other business owners who cater to a similar clientele. They don't necessarily have to sell jewelry. Doing a collaborative event can really help you gain exposure to engaged audiences from different niches. Number seven, close the sale at events with special incentives. So if you're gonna do an event, think of a way to make that particular shopping experience special, more VIP. Maybe there's some sort of special promotion, discount, offer, incentive. They are there, those attendees are there in the moment, Sometimes they have their ju- the jewelry, they're trying it on, it's in their hands, they're contemplating the decision, you pretty much have them there. <laughs> Make it as compelling as possible. Of course, not everyone's going to buy, but sweeten the deal. Give them a reward for showing up because that is no small thing that they've done for you. And then number eight, leverage the 2024 retail trend of reuse and remake. So 
there's definitely a trend happening now. It's going to be more anticipated into 2024 where because people are trying to kind of curb consumption, maybe cut back on buying new things, they're inclined to reuse and remake their possessions. So if your jewelry business offers custom pieces or you can rework existing jewelry, then maybe have an event to align with this trend and cater to those preferences. So you can also potentially even organize events showing how people can take their existing clothes, accessories, jewelry, and take your jewelry and work it into their wardrobe. I think sometimes people need help and guidance with that. And that is just fun. And when you really can show someone how a piece of jewelry can fit into their life, it is so much harder for them to say no. And then number nine, another event idea, host a demonstration or a masterclass. So again, instead of focusing solely on selling, consider conducting a demonstration or masterclass. These events don't necessarily need to teach the attendees how to create your jewelry, but it can involve showcasing your craft in action. Things like sketching the designs, selecting gemstones, demonstrating metal smithing techniques, whatever best represents your brand. Okay, so circling back to the email marketing piece of the puzzle, how do you collect email subscribers? So, of course, this is going to be a top priority. It's often easier to get someone's email address than to make a sale. As you can imagine, that's a lower barrier to entry, especially if someone is just learning about your brand for the first time, they might be hesitant about making like an impulse buy. So make sure you have a straightforward way for people to sign up, whether it's through a simple like paper form, an iPad, a QR code that people can scan with their phones so that they can get your email sign up form directly. I think sometimes people prefer that convenience of using their own devices. But regardless, the fewer steps required, the better. Also, practice your approach when asking for email addresses. So if you have staff working with you, then train those people to actively encourage email signups. They should be knowledgeable about the signup process, knowledgeable in sharing the benefits of joining the email list and how to handle any technical issues or possible questions that would come up. It's of course helpful to offer a small incentive. Maybe you have a cute sticker or a jewelry pouch or a ring sizer that they get right away if they sign up, or it's a discount or a contest or giveaway where people who add their email addresses that day, will enter and get notified. So really highlight the prizes, the experiences, create a sense of excitement and urgency. Also, let them know, especially if you're like engaging with them in this process, let them know what they can expect when they become a member of your email list. So what's the value of that? Do they get first access to new products, exclusive access to sales? Do they get other types of like fun and interesting content? And if you're doing email marketing effectively, I would sure hope that you have a lot to offer and that you're delivering a ton of value to your subscribers. 
Also very, very important, what do you do with those email subscribers once you've added them to your list? Immediately acknowledge new subscribers with a welcome message, a welcome flow confirming their sign up. These can definitely be automated. They should, they should be automated. So this not only confirms their subscription, making it feel like more legitimate, immediately building trust, but it reinforces that value of why they sign up for the first place and tells them a little bit more about your brand. Make sure that you have some kind of notice, whether it's in the welcome email or in the sign up form, that the email addresses are private, they won't be shared with third parties, highlight your commitment to data security. If it's possible, though, don't do this if it kind of creates additional steps or a barrier to entry. But if you can collect additional information, such as like their first name or their birthday, or even in your own notes, like noting products that that person was interested in, then this data can help you later segment your email list for more targeted marketing. And in our upcoming conversation with Hillary, we'll be discussing her event that she recently did, which was an open studio. And we'll be delving into her strategies for engaging with visitors, explore how the collaborative aspect of the event positively impacted her outcomes, and gather valuable advice that she can offer to other jewelry brands looking to host similar events. Hey, Hillary, nice to see you today. I'm really excited to talk about your recent event. Hey, Larissa, great to see you too. So you recently had an open studio, and I'll let you kind of tell a little bit more about that. But I think I really am excited to talk about this because I think there are jewelry designers out there who are like, struggling to get over the hump of like doing their first event, or maybe they're not really sure what would work best for them in terms of an event. So I guess first give some background information, like what is this open studios that you did? There's an organization in San Francisco called Artspan, and they put on fall open studios. Well, they help artists put on their open studios in the fall every year. They break up the city into different sections. And so they each weekend in like October, November, they feature a different part of the city. And if you want to be involved, you just have to become a member of Artspan and then they'll do a lot of promotions for you. And then obviously you have to do your own promotions. And um, with a building like the one I'm in, it's a huge old mattress factory that's been converted to um, artists, studios and small businesses and things like that. So um, it's kind of nice to have like that bigger building where we can all kind of play off of each other and, um, help promote each other. Um, but it's, it's great. It's, you know, it's citywide. There's a lot of people that come through that just like get the brochure from Artspan and they know about it every year. So it's, it's a well-publicized event. So to prepare for this, I'm sure it's not the easiest thing to kind of like get your studio ready and make it inviting. What were some of the things you do to get ready for the event? Well, I, I clean it. I clean it really, really well, which is, you know, not something I do every week. Um, I like put a little story on Instagram, making a little joke that I was actually doing my, like my annual mopping. And then it's funny. I got some comments back from other jewelers that are like, I've never mopped my studio, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, I probably wouldn't if it wasn't for open studios, but, um, 
you know, there's just so much dust that's generated from making jewelry that, you know, every surface, no matter how often you might wipe things down, every surface just gets so dirty. So I like give my studio a deep clean and that takes me like all day. Um, and then, you know, I get like nice food and snacks and drinks and flowers and things like that. So, you know, cause I want this space to look nice besides just having my jewelry, you know, so I want it to be clean. I want it to be inviting. And then, um, I have all the little, you know, display things ready. I use these pretty little glass and brass boxes that I get from West Elm. They have all different sizes. They're really nice. And, um, so all that's already there, but it's just kind of, you know, how do I want to arrange the studio? What tables do I want to put it on? And, um, it's just, it's, I actually really enjoy open studios because it gives me a little bit of a break from my bench this time of year, which is so intense otherwise. So I don't mind having an excuse to like clean my studio and do other things. Are there any challenges with getting ready for the event? Are you pretty like used to it, have a routine down pat by now? (laughs) I'm pretty used to it. I mean, I would say the challenge is that it does take away from bench time at a time of year when you do need to be at the bench. So it's kind of this like catch 22 where it's really nice to have the break, but it's also a little nerve wracking. And now then, you know, this coming week is, or this week is Thanksgiving week, which I'm also not working a lot just because of, you know, my son's on break from school and all that. So it's almost going to be like a full week or almost two week break from my studio. And so getting back in is going to be a little like, okay, where was I? Like, what do I need to do? Like, you know, it's kind of a a rush to, uh, to just get everything done again. Yeah, definitely. So most important thing during the event, you want to actually like engage with the people who come. So what do you do to kind of ensure that you're chatting with everyone, making sure they feel comfortable sharing things about your jewelry? What's your like strategy behind that? Well, it's funny because it's like one of these things where either there's one person in your studio or all of a sudden there's 15 people there. <laughs> yeah. And so like, that's how it was the whole time. It was, it was fairly steady both days because it's a Saturday and Sunday event. Sundays are always a little bit slower, but, um, you know, it, it really depends. I always, you know, welcome people in. I let them know that, you know, they're more than welcome to try things on if they'd like. Let me know if they have any questions. And I really just kind of let people take it in. And some people just come in and circle and they leave right away. And then some people really stay. And then, you know, I'll notice that maybe they're looking at a particular thing more closely and I'll say, oh, do you know what that stone is? Or can I talk to you about the stone? And like, once I get talking about stones, people just, they love it, right? Because a lot of my jewelry has unique stones in it. And people love learning about stones and what they're called. And, you know, I mean, people are like blown a bit, blown away by like rutilated quartz and, um, you know, dendritic quartz, anything like that, that looks like there's like a plant inside, you know, they're blown away by opals and, um, really they just love kind of being educated on what stones are. So it's, it's a pretty easy conversation to have. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, did you get any like surprising or unexpected questions or like people that make you think about your jewelry, like in a different way that maybe you didn't think about before? I mean, not so much. There's always interesting characters that come into <laughs> open studios just because it is like a citywide kind of publicized event. And so, you know, you do get just 
you get some weirdos in there that are just going <laughs> to say all sorts of things. And, you know, I just let it go, you know, and just blow it off. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, in terms of something memorable, I mean, I had, I met so many people this year that came to my open studios that I only know through Instagram. So it was, it was so great. Um, you know, people that I've been chatting with for a couple years, some collectors that I had never met before that just hadn't been able to make it to open studios before. And this is like the only in-person event I'll do locally, um, this fall and usually this year. Um, so I don't know, it was, it was pretty awesome in that respect. It's just kind of like nothing bad, you know, it's, it's like things are always usually really good at open studios. And that was like the extra little icing on the cake was meeting all these people this year. Mm -hmm. So one thing you mentioned was you share the building with other makers and creators. Would you say, or I guess speak to that collaborative environment and how it kind of helps with the success of the event? Yeah, it's great. There's a lot of, this year there was about 18 other artists in our building that were participating, which is the most we've had in a long time. And we have a few new artists this year that have like really good followings on Instagram and good clientele. And so we do all do a lot of cross promotion through Instagram, through our newsletters, highlighting other artists. Um, and so, and you know, like whenever people are asking me like, Oh, who else do you like in the building? Like I'll always be like, Oh, I love, you know, the ceramics ladies down the hall and the painter down in the basement. And, you know, I mean, it's, there's some, there's such incredible artists in the building. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not difficult to, to refer and recommend and share. And then it's also just nice because it's like the one time of year that we are all, all of us artists are actually like out and about and like in each other's studios and being like, Oh, I've never met you before, but we've both been here for five years, you know, because a lot of us just like walk in our studios and close our doors and start working. Um, so it's just always a really nice thing in that way too to to meet the other artists in the building. Mm-hmm. That does sound really nice. I like that. Yeah, it's the, a lot of fun. And then I always buy little gifts too. Oh from yeah, <laughs> hall and yeah, yeah. yeah I like feel like too. it would be hard not to want to buy stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. There's some great artists in the building. So you had mentioned that one really rewarding thing was like meeting those people you knew from Instagram, which I think is really cool. Was there anything else that you came out of this year that you felt was really rewarding for you? You know, I just think it was the general feedback. Um, people were excited to see my jewelry, which always feels really nice. And, um, just very complimentary and very, um, you know, just very kind. And it's just, that's what I love about open studios is just like the openness, the friendliness, um, just like the sharing, the, the community. Um, I don't know. I love it. Some artists don't love it as much. They, you know, it's a lot of work, but I, I always come out of it just feeling great. And it just feels um, very rewarding and it's comfortable because it's my own studio. It's not like I'm schlepping all this stuff to some, you know, conference center or whatever. It's just, it's cozy and it's nice. And my studio is really bright and sunny with like two walls of windows. So people always come in and they're like, Oh my gosh, look at your studio. And um, I don't know. It just, it just feels great. So for those listening who 
other jewelry designers who may want to do this type of event, even if they don't have like the ba- the city backing to kind of get this organized? Do you have any advice to them? I mean, yeah, I, I, I would assume it would be hard to do if you don't have some like collaboration you can do with other artists. Um, you know, I would say if you're able to, to, to like, maybe, you know, if, if, if it's not like a citywide thing, that's not sponsored by an organization in your, in your city. Yeah. Definitely collaborate with some other artists and it doesn't have to necessarily be other jewelry artists. Probably you probably don't want it to be other jewelry artists. You know, you could do like a little holiday fair or holiday bazaar in your studio or in someone else's studio. I mean, use your mailing list like crazy. Use Instagram like crazy. It's also hard just because on Instagram, you know, your followers can be all over the the world. They're not necessarily local. So, um, oh, and then one thing that I did this year, which was different, is I I didn't put my address of my studio on Instagram. I felt a little weird about it this year. So I made it seem maybe a little more exclusive by saying RSVP and I'll send you the address. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily something you can do on your own unless you know you have a really good local following and that they'll come. Yeah. Uh, So that's, yeah, that's why I think the collaboration with other artists is really important. Mm -hmm. Now that you've gone through this a few times, you're an expert. Is there anything you would change in the future or you would still want to try? Or do you feel like pretty comfortable with, with the setup as you have it? I'm pretty comfortable with the setup. Um, I've got the, you know, I've got the, the setup and the, you know, the, the jewelry armature and all of that all nailed down. And, you know, I know what to do with cleaning my studio and, <laughs> um, I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, yeah, I, I guess I wish that we had more control over what weekend was mm-hmm. our neighborhood that would be nice because I don't know if I would have chose last week, last weekend for it. Um, cause that's actually when I would have rather had a sale. I don't know. It, it kind of, that part I don't love that I don't get to choose the date, mm-hmm. but, um, that's out of my control. Are Otherwise, the events you know, I all year it, round, like any time of year or are they like just in the fall in the fall? Okay. Yeah. Just in the fall. And sometimes our building will put on a spring open studios where it's just us trying to promote it. And we don't get as much foot traffic at all. Mm-hmm. So it makes, and I probably won't do that again because it's just too much work for not a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I, it really does take a, a big collaborative effort, but it's also a big city. So I don't know, maybe smaller towns that are just more tight knit and have more community, maybe it would be easier. Yeah, that's a good point. Something to consider for for everyone out there. Like find a way to make it work mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, people love being in your studio. You know, they love seeing where it's made. You know, I usually like lay out some tools. Um, people are always asking me questions about like my soldering station. They're like, what is that thing? You know, um, people love the rolling mill. You have to keep kids away from the rolling mill. You know, <laughs> goodness, if one of them stuck their finger in there. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. But I know. <laughs> um but yeah it's I just I just think it's a lot of fun cool well thanks Hillary it was great to hear more about the open studio and I hope more people out there try some events in 2024 yeah me too yeah thanks a lot Larissa this was fun
What did you think about the interview? Are you excited to keep following Hillary on this journey? I highly encourage you to check out Hillary's website, hillaryfink.com, and follow her on Instagram at hillaryfinkjewelry, and I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Let me know in a podcast review or YouTube comment what you think. Okay, let's get into the gold mine. So if you're new around here... The Goldmine is a segment where I get personal and share insights on entrepreneurship, mindset, success, growth, and all things business. On this week's Goldmine segment, I want to dive into this thought-provoking idea that the storyteller is more important than the story. So I recently came across this concept while listening to one of my favorite podcasts, This Old Marketing because I'm a marketing nerd. (laughs) And I'll provide a link in the show notes if you're curious. But during their discussion about the impact of AI on brand storytelling and marketing, they highlighted the notion that, quote, the storyteller becomes more important than the story, end quote. I can't take credit for this phrase, but it really resonated with me. So I want to share it with you. I like immediately jotted it down in my my notes app on my phone. So what is this idea? The storytelling, the storyteller becomes more important than the story. What does it mean? So the context for what they were talking about was related to the rise of artificial intelligence or AI, which if you've used it, you'll find it kind of standardizes content and information. And as AI becomes more prevalent, everything kind of starts to feel the same unless you are actively guiding it towards something that you want to feel different. And that does take a lot of back and forth and work with the AI. So moving forward, savvy consumers may trust content less because they all often assume it originates from AI. But on the flip side, when there's a person behind the content that they admire, like, and trust, and the material is conveyed in that person's authentic voice, then the personality that that person is sharing really becomes even more significant than the story or content itself. And that's the way that you can really engage the customer in 2023, 2024, moving into more AI-dominated content. And so let's consider this concept in the context of a jewelry brand. So here's one example. Let's say for a sustainable jewelry brand. Of course, it's so important for that brand to share its sustainability efforts, its transparent supply chain, its ethical business practices. But you know, I know, these messages have become so common nowadays that they almost don't mean anything anymore. So what can truly set this type of brand apart then is not even just the story. But let's say a founder or a spokesperson of that brand possesses this really captivating personality, and they are the true embodiment of the principles of sustainability. And when they share that brand story through their unique perspective, through their narrative style, 
then it transforms the messaging from something we can all tune out from into something very distinctive and authentic. I don't want to start getting into any grievances against AI in this podcast episode. That's not the point here. But I have noticed a lot of jewelry brands starting to use AI as a shortcut to meet the marketing checklist. Like they think I have to do X, Y, Z to succeed. I don't really have time to do those things. So AI is going to be my quick path to success and help me check all those boxes. As we've discussed, though, on this podcast before, when you're just checking a marketing box, whether you're using AI to do that or another method, that's never going to be the answer, even though it might feel like you're, quote unquote, doing all the right things. AI can serve as a tool, but it's never like the end point. It's never the final answer. So In essence, I'm really encouraging you to reflect on the quote, the storyteller is more important than the story. And consider how your brand can establish itself as a compelling storyteller that people truly know, like, and trust. Because in today's landscape, that story alone may not be enough anymore. I would love to hear your thoughts on this concept, so feel free to drop me a message via Instagram, DM, leave a review, comment on the YouTube channel. Let's engage in a discussion about it. Did you have any questions about today's episode? You can always email me, Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're completely new to digital marketing, then you'll want to purchase and read a copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy. Visit joyjoya.com book for more information.